This episode is brought to you by the Italian Wine Academy, teaching WSET levels 1, 2, and 3 in English, right here in Verona, the home of the Italian Wine Podcast. Want to become part of the international wine sector? Need a worldwide recognized certification? Don't know where to start? You can easily complete our courses while you enjoy the fun and excitement of Verona. Make your vacation good value for money by adding a wine certificate to your souvenirs. Visit our website at italianwineacademy.org for more information and sign up today to start your personal adventure in global wine education. Welcome to Jumbo Shrimp Wine Study Maps. We have specially created this free content for all our listeners who are studying for wine exams. This has been a journey of development since Stevie Kim discovered Rosie Baker's hand-drawn maps on Instagram through two years of work by our in-house editorial and graphics team, and now the maps are available to purchase in beta form while they undergo the final proofing and editing by our expert advisory board. It's a three-layered project because we know everyone learns differently. We now offer the complete box set of 39 maps, this series of podcasts with the maps narrated by our crack team of wine educators, and finally, the study guide book, which will be published later this year. Our map project is in no way a substitute for the material set out by other educational organizations, but we hope all the wine students out there will find our map project a new, exciting, and useful tool for learning. For more information and to buy the maps, please visit our website at mamajumboshrimp.com. My name's Jill Gordon-Smith, and this is map number 39, and we're talking about another fortified wine, port. So port's the most famous wine of the Douro, one of the world's oldest appellations. It was first demarcated in 1756, and it's become one of the world's most copied wine styles. And port is now a protected term in the EU. The production of port is overseen and enforced by the Douro Port Wine Institute, or the IVDP, which is the regulatory body. So let's talk about the climate. So it's very warm and it's a warm continental climate. And the further inland that you go along the Douro River, it becomes hotter. The vineyards are divided into three subregions. So you have the Baixo Corgo with the lightest wines, the Chima Corgo where the greatest number of the top vineyards are found, and then the Douro Superior, which although it's still sparsely planted, is also renowned as a source of top quality wine. So broadly speaking, it's a warm continental climate because it's shielded from the cool rain-bearing Atlantic winds by the Serra do Maro. But the climate's not uniform. In the west, in the Baixo Corgo, it's the coolest and wettest. But as we go further inland, the vineyards become hotter and drier. So the growers have to contend with things like frosts in spring and also There's quite heavy downpours on occasion that can disrupt flowering and can also disrupt harvest. In the summer, daytime temperatures can be really high and rainfall through the growing season is really low. But thanks to the schist bedrock, which is fractures vertically and allows the vine's roots to access deep water reserves, they can do um, some very good viticulture. So the vineyards in the Baixo and Chimacorgo are planted on the tall and steep slopes that rise up from the banks of the Douro River and its tributaries. So it's a very varied topography, which can be exploited by the growers. So there's quite clear temperature difference between the top and the bottom of a slope, and that's due to the change in altitude. So some sites have a more northerly aspect, and they're deliberately used because they want to stay away from the full force of the sun. But it's still very hard to manage vineyards on such steep slopes, and it's a very costly challenge. Main black varieties that are used, there are actually 29 recommended varieties and over 
80 authorised for use and they were traditionally planted with field blends, but now we're getting more single variety vineyards, so quality's really improving. So the top five black varieties are Tintorores, which is known otherwise as Tempranillo, and that has high yields, add some finesse. It's a lighter style grape. Uh, Tariga Nacional would be the finest grape of the Douro. So that gives a low yield of small berries and small bunches. It's early maturing, very full-bodied and concentrated and makes very full-bodied concentrated wines and it's used for the best wines. Tariga Franca is a premium grape and that needs a warm location. It's quite deep coloured, it's well-structured and quite robust and it's the beautiful perfume that it gives that makes it very interesting to use in these wines. Tintacao, a small percentage is used. It's very late ripening and there's very small bunches of tiny grapes, which adds more tannin to the wines. And then Tinta Barocca with larger berries and bunches, quite thin-skinned and prone to being a dehydrated style. Traditionally, the plantings are on those steep slopes on the banks of the Juro and the tributaries. They're planted on shallow soils over schist bedrock. That splits vertically, allows the roots to go deep in search of water. They don't have to use a lot of treatments because of the hot, dry summers. And the biggest challenge would be the steep slopes. The narrow flat terraces called socalcos are basically three rows of vines and they can't be mechanised. There's still 40% of the vineyard area, but there's a real issue with the walls the stone walls collapsing. There are wider sloper terraces called patamares and they were developed in the 70s with road access built into the slope. And then in the 1980s, the unterraced Vino Alto layout was developed. So rows of vines are planted up and down the slope and accessed by roads cutting across the slope. There are some problems with erosion though because the vineyards still retain a slope. So the Duro Superiore has a higher percentage of flatter vineyards and more mechanisation. So the cost of viticulture is cheaper there but there are problems with the low rainfall. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local food, and taking in the scenery. Now back to the show. probably a really good idea to have a look at the Beneficio, the system that's used to control port production. So the IVDP authorises the vintage yields based on quality. So the Beneficio is based on 13 um, criteria that was laid down in the 1940s and it's classified according to yield, grape, aspect and soil type. So each vineyard is graded from A to F with A being the best and F the worst. So seven soil and climate factors are scored location, altitude, exposure, bedrock, rough matter, slope and shelter and the next five are based on the vine itself, the type of vine, the planting density, the yield, the training system and the vine age. It doesn't appear on the label but it is the basis of the beneficial authorization. So this is the maximum amount of wine that can be fortified in any given year and it's based on those 12 factors. The rights can be sold to grapes so you can buy from lesser producers or unofficially use the rights to maximize the use of the higher quality grapes. So it really is something that does control the maximum amount of wine that can be fortified in any particular year. So in the winery, we need to get a rapid extraction of color and tannin in the first 24 to 36 hours. So extraction is the key and that can be done by foot treading, which traditionally has been done with people in the lagars that would stamp their feet according to a beat. And of course, using feet, you didn't crush the pips. So you'll get lots of extraction without any of the 
bitter characters. Also autovinifiers, which are a great way to do this, as well as a robotic lagar, which mimics the feet, but is made of metal or piston plungers. They're like round, shallow, open-top stainless steel vats where the caps press down with the robotic pistons. So the wine is then fortified and pressed after that 24 to 36 hours and the foot treading or autominifiers are a great way to do this. So when the sugar has been converted to between 6 to 9%, a grape-based spirit at around 77% ABV is added. So it's in a 1 to 4 proportion, so that kills the yeasts and it stops the fermentation. And this is what gives port its fiery character. It's called aguadente and it has a low level of rectification and that's added to the grape must and stops the fermentation. Wines are historically aged in Villanova de Gaia on the coast. Some tawnies might be aged upstream where it's hotter and they're aged in pipes which are between 550 litres to 620 litres and only seasoned casks and vats are used to age port, so no new wood. Ruby styles are very often aged in large oak or steel. So let's talk about the styles. So white port coming from white grapes, so Circeal. They're golden in colour, low in acid. You get honey nut aromas, dry to sweet. They're usually non-vintage and sold when they're very young, between two and three years of age. Ruby port's very deeply coloured and fruity and it's bottled ready to drink. And then you have reserve ruby ports. So they're a higher quality wine from one or more vintages. They're a little bit more full-bodied with richer fruit, better integrated alcohol, and they don't need decanting. And then late bottled vintage, which is a ruby port from a specific year that's been aged between four and six years before bottling. Usually these don't need decanting and they're ready to drink. A modern LBV is usually fined and filtered before bottling. They have a stopper cork and they're ready for use. They're richer, they're more more complex flavours than a reserve ruby port and have a little bit more of a tannic grip. The label will include the year of bottling and the year of vintage. Then bottle matured LBVs, they're unfined, unfiltered, and they improve in the bottle and they need three more years ageing in the cellars. They have a, a driven cork and need to be decanted. So very similar, uh, a bottle matured late bottle vintage to a vintage port. You'll have tawny ports that are paler and browner in colour and they've been aged in a cask, so they're bottled ready to drink. Now, a reserve tawny port has at least seven years in wood. It's more complex. It's smoother and russet tawny in colour and will be a blend from different vintages. And you'll have tawny ports with an age indicated, so the average age only, 10, 20, 30 or over 40 years rather than the age of the youngest component in the blend. So the label states the year of the bottling and they're probably the finest of all tawny ports, very complex and constant traded with lots of walnut, coffee, chocolate and caramel. There's also uh, Coita ports. They're the rarest and the best. They're wines of a single vintage aged in wood until just before sale and they have a minimum of eight years. Also vintage dated tawny ports where the label states the vintage, it's been aged in cask and then it's bottled. Also vintage ports, so they're intended for ageing in the bottle. And they only have a short maturation before bottling and they're bottled when they're between 18 months and three years. And they're the longest lived wines anywhere. They can be the finest wines from the best vineyards. They're rich and tannic when they're young. They mature very slowly. They have a very heavy deposit and they should be decanted. Single Kinta vintage ports are made in the same way as a vintage port, but they're the product of a single estate, otherwise known as a Kinta. And the name of the Kinta appears on the label. Ports are generally transported downstream to Villa Nova de Gaia for maturation because the climate's slightly cooler and it's coastal and it's well suited to the slow maturation of port wines. The tawny ports are often stored in the Douro though where the higher temperatures result in faster ageing and a loss in colour. 
Now we have air-conditioned warehouses, more wines being aged in the vineyard area. Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Italian Wine Academy, offering WSET levels 1, 2, and 3 in English. Visit our website at italianwineacademy.org for more information and sign up today to start your personal adventure in global wine education right here in the heart of Verona. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. Ching ching! I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.